on this week's episode, we talk to Erica Rixon about the Smashing Pumpkins. This is The Operative. I'm your host, Chris Williams. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Erica. I really appreciate it. I am thrilled. I'm thrilled. Can't Uh, wait. So uh, to start off, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So um, I'm Erica Rickson. I play drums in a band called Motherfucker in Athens, Georgia. Um, I was also uh, more recently in a band called Maximum Busy Muscle, which is currently not a thing, but was a thing for a while. Um, And I've been in a whole bunch of other bands that have, you know, come and gone, uh, broken up like bands like to do. Um, And I've been playing drums for, geez, how long is it now? 20 some odd years, 20. Oh God. How old am I now? (laughs) (laughs) How long ago was 1996? That's how long. (laughs) So yeah, 20, 24. Yeah, there you yeah, go. There yeah, you go. there you go. Yeah, after a while, who cares anymore? You're just like, yeah, it's a long time. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you wanted to talk about the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins, I, uh, I've long said that uh, there is no fan quite as heartbroken as a Smashing Pumpkins fan, especially like a a Smashing Pumpkins fan at their heyday in the beginning in the early in the mid nineties. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, y- you can love something with all of your heart. Like I did in high school. Like I, I love the Smashing Pumpkins more than just about anything. Like my, my computer desktop was all Smashing Pumpkins themed. I bought all the rare stuff on eBay, which was like super new and exciting um, the first record I downloaded off of Napster, which was also super new and exciting was a Smashing Pumpkins record. Like I just, I, I like, I'm of that age group where like, we're talking about 1996. That's the year, probably 95, 96. I was like in 95, I was 10 or 11. Right. So to me, it was just this, you know, sonic force that I had never, ever you know, I was not ready for that. I was not ready for the amount of fuzz and distortion that came out of the radio uh, when it did. But oh man, did that ever just change after the last, uh, you know, <laughs> 25 so odd years? God, has it ever. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever watched someone descend into madness quite the way Billy Corgan did. Um, that dude, um, yeah, it, it's funny because like it took me like I had a lot of denial. I had a huge period of denial regarding Smashing Pumpkins in general. Like I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I managed I, when I was in music school. I had, <laughs> I had this <laughs> this friend who was older than me. Like I was nineteen, he was about thirty, and he loved like Motley Crue. And just like stuff like that. He was all about like stick tricks and all this. And we were just from very different worlds. And he's like, what, what, you know, what drummer just really just knocks your socks off? Like who, who influenced you growing up? I'm like, oh, Jimmy Chamberlain, Smashing Pumpkins. He was like, like he made the most like, you know, audible vomit sound. And I was just like, oh, come on, man. Come on. He goes, he goes, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize how much Billy Corgan sucks. I think about that 
all the time because it it not only happened, but it happened like so many different times over and over and over again. And like now he's he's uh, talking to Alex Jones and it's like it can't just when you think it can't get worse, like and it's perfect because, you know, I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for the Xennials, which I, I claim is my my demographic. You know, the we're we're the oldest millennials we're the elderly millennials we uh you know we were like oh yes i downloaded the thing on the first day anybody downloaded a thing you know it's like <laughs> like there there's just something about being just a little too young but also a little too old and you just can't can't escape that zone and and just being at the right time to be like youthfully just charged for this band and then you know, I'm 35 now and oh my God, like, I think if I ran into Billy Corgan in public, I would, I, at 15, I would have like lost my mind. I would have passed out. I would be, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. But now I, 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 I don't think I could talk to him. I don't think I could, I don't think I could hurt myself that way. Like it's already, it's already bad enough, you know, like, I don't think there's anything he could say to me that would make it okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, especially after this most recent record that just came out. Holy Toledo. Is it a train wreck? (laughs) Did you, did you listen to the most recent record just to get ready for the podcast? Um, no. Yes. And yes. And no, (laughs) yes. And no, yes. And no. Um, the whole thing yes <laughs> it's actually funny because um you know we talked about doing this and as if by magic within the same like 24 hour period um uh gene Wolfolk, uh formerly of powder room currently of vincus out of athens he uh he knows i'm a pumpkins fan he's a pump he's a he's also a a, a, a low-key pumpkins fan because you just have to kind of you know, kind of have to keep it on the down low we're about the same age so he also has this problem i'm sure he carries it with him everywhere as i do and he (laughs) occasionally he'll just bring up a pumpkins thing and he sent me a link to their new video uh tiger tiger spelled with a y Mm. t-y-g-e-r comma (laughs) t-y-g-e-r and i he was like he he didn't say anything about it i'm like oh fuck this is gonna be is gonna be a thing i watched the video and 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 like instantly instantly it was like the most cringeworthy because it was like yeah this is gonna be the rock song that we do to remind you that we used to play rock songs and it's just like it's like if it's like if rob zombie like threw up his own material you know what i mean and and like it's so trite it's so it's just so it's like a parody of itself it's so bad and <laughs> we were just we were just talking about it and i was like dude how did you know i was, I, it, was it was just such a perfect moment because i was like god i'm literally about to do this podcast where i just you know talk about my own self-loathing and how much how much i'm not sure how much it's my fault you know what i mean like how much do i blame myself for caring about this band still um and 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 part of me is like you you can't blame yourself it happened to you when you're a kid you can't help it (laughs) 
and and I will say, I listened to I listened to as much Pumpkins as I could to get ready for this because it's been a long time, and I surprised myself because there were records that I didn't really care about as much as a kid that I genuinely like now. I'm like, oh man, I, I I'm way more impressed with this as an adult. Um, and then there were some other things like some songs that I just was like, oh man, this is so deep and like. I understand the feelings going on in this song. And it's like, oh, you're just like really mad at your ex-girlfriend and like, you're being a huge asshole about it. Like, you're just going to be like, you're going to date someone else. And I'm like, God, that's so lame. Like, that's the saddest thing. It's like, you know, art is expression, you know, be, be sad about your ex-girlfriend, write a sappy song about it, but it's all like, well, I guess you love him now, and I guess I'll just go fucking fuck myself. I guess I'll just go bury myself under this tree in your backyard that I'm totally still hanging out at. And I'm just like, God, what? And you know, as a as a like 14 year old, I'm like, yeah, totally. I I totally get what you're talking about. Yeah, no, no, you got to live some life, and you're like, dude, maybe she's just not that into you. You know, <laughs> maybe just like it's fine. You know, it's fine. Just just you know maybe like a song of letting go whatever i don't know (laughs) i could go on i can go talk about this a lot (laughs) so so okay so you were in your uh your early teens when you first came across them um what what were you listening to for context what what were you into other music at the time or so so the story goes a little like this i was uh i was i was just about to go into sixth grade and that wouldn't have been monumental at all except for the fact that um my mom happened to get remarried and have you know get pregnant and have my baby brother and we moved to a whole nother town and you know, um, I grew up in and around Atlanta, um, and I've moved in and around Atlanta. I always say I'm from Atlanta because I've lived all around inside and outside the perimeter. I ended up going to high school very much OTP outside the perimeter. Um, so I'm not, not cool at all, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was, uh, about, I was going into sixth grade, so I didn't know anybody and I was super like awkward and uncomfortable. And I had, uh, I think like, Tonight Tonight had come out that summer, the video for Tonight Tonight, which, uh, you know, I was blown away by. It was so beautiful. And like, even still, I, you know, that, that video is still beautifully done. Um, really, truly. I like, I think about it often when I, when I'm, I don't know, it's such a unique video, even, even now. Um, but, uh, it really struck me as a kid, you know, and it was super popular. It wasn't like it was hard to find. Um, and I'd already heard 1979 and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get the double record. So I asked my then stepdad's uh, parents who asked me what I wanted for Christmas. I was like, oh, I want Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. I want the double record. So Christmas comes and I get, um, since you asked what I was listening to, I got the Beatles anthology number three. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that when they, they did the yeah. anthology in the 90s. Um, and I was, I was, a uh, I had become a huge Beatles fan because like the, the, <laughs> the cute girl in my class. And yes, it was that I was that young, the cute girl in my class that I couldn't really like figure out why I was so nervous around. 
was like, oh, the Beatles are the best band. I was like, yeah, the Beatles are the best band. So, and she was like, oh, did you get the anthology? And I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> so I asked for that as well. So I got the anthology three. And then instead of getting Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, which they couldn't find, they said, they bought me Siamese Dream and Pisces Iscariot. So I got those two first. And I was super bummed because I was like 11. And I was like, this isn't what I wanted. And I didn't listen to it for a long time. Um, but I, I remember very distinctly, like I, I listened to the hell out of that Beatles anthology. And it's funny because some of those songs, like I associate more with the anthology, even more so than like, you know, White Album, Ab Abbey Road and Let It Be, uh, which it's funny because... Uh, I don't know. I spent a lot of time alone that year. Cause like I said, my mom was remarried. We had a new house. I was going to a new school and I was just like at the dawn of my way too early puberty being really uncomfortable. So I just sat in my room and listened to my shitty boombox. And, uh, I remember the day I put in Siamese dream. Cause I remember just staring at the speakers, just like what the hell just happened. And it starts with this, you know, the snare roll, of Cherubrock. And I, I was obsessed with drums immediately as a child. Like it was always in my head, like, I'm going to be a drummer period. Like I would boast about it. I even lied about it to like babysitters. I'd be like, yeah, I'm a drummer when I'm like seven, <laughs> you know? just like, yeah, I'm a drummer and I play, I play drums. And I didn't have a kit or anything. I just wanted to do so badly. Um, but <laughs> but I remember just staring at the speaker and being like, what, what is this? And I remember shutting it off because I thought this is scary. Like this music is too scary. It's, it's intense and it sounds like angry music. And, you know, I'd been listening to, you know, the Beatles and the Beach Boys and like way more, you know, stuff my mom liked, you know, um, you know david bowie and fleetwood mac and you know stuff like that and actually a ton of black sabbath which totally makes sense and tracks um she had every black sabbath record and so it'd be like sunday morning making pancakes listening to sabbath bloody sabbath no big deal um so so one day i i decided to be brave and i listened to the whole thing and i just it i think it was the first time siamese dream was the first time i listened to a record all the way through as a child. And I just remember thinking like, this is the most powerful, intense music I've ever heard. I'd never heard anything that was quite as sonically, you know, huge as that. Um, and I, I didn't understand it. I understand it a little more now, but even still like the, the production value on that record in particular is just, nothing quite still sounds like it truly like even the pumpkins trying so hard to find or billy corgan trying so hard to find that again it's just not there you know um it meant a lot to me as a kid it still means a lot to me when i listen to that record now which i did very recently it's just like man this still kicks ass that record i feel like is for me like very much the the archetype of the kind of drummer I hoped to be. Um, 
I was way more a Pumpkins fan than a Nirvana fan at the time. And uh, I remember thinking like, God, Nirvana's so boring compared to this. Like there's so much going on. There's so many guitar solos, which is of course, you know, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure Nirvana would be like, yeah, totally. We are way different from that. You're, uh, thank you for the compliment, you know? And I have since, you know, I, I became a Nirvana fan later, but uh, I got it later. I didn't understand like, the punk ethos as a you know a suburban you know tween um but i did understand loud fuzzy distorted you know blown out guitar with and and i it really um it's funny too because even when i listen back it's like yeah there's a shit ton of noise on this record like this is not a tame record that like siamese dream in particular like the like just the feedback at the end of any given track is just enough to to just you know blow the mind of any 11 year old if you care about such things um which i think i think most kids my age would have been a little more like if it wasn't melancholy they wouldn't have been into it ironically that record has some of the heaviest songs they ever wrote but uh yeah um so yeah, that and uh, Pisces Iscariot was probably one that I, I gravitated to more as a kid, just because it has like some more fun songs. Um, it has some, you know, it has the landslide cover. Mm. <laughs> and it has, uh, which, which I have had an evolving feeling about that song. I could, I could just talk, I could spend the whole time talking about the landslide cover. Um <laughs> But yeah, there were some fun, like there's Frail and Bedazzled, which is just like really fun and upbeat, like cool riff and just like a good time. And there's a Pissant, which still like, I think Pissant, if for anyone that cares and remembers that song at the beginning, the way the drum sound, it sounds like the most just like exciting intro of drums in the history of time. And I, I, I just... I wanted it. I wanted everything I did to be that exciting. Like, I just wanted to sound like pissant, which is funny because, you know, here I am, like, still have no drum kit. You know, I'm like, I'm going to be a drummer one day, just thinking about this shit. Like, how do I make it sound that way? You know? But, uh, yeah, those, those two records were super, super mind blowing for me, like, to the point where I was afraid of them at first. <laughs> So, so you said you didn't have a drum kit yet? No, I begged for it every year for Christmas from the time I was five until I finally got one when I was 14. Like I believed in Santa when I started. <laughs> I was like, Santa, what the fuck? Like every year, seriously? Like, cool, I got some toys, but like I've been really asking for this and i just i couldn't wrap like i believed in santa for longer than most most people i think <laughs> as a kid so by the time i uh i found out santa wasn't real i had like a vendetta against the motherfucker i was like where's my shit <laughs> like i make my bed sometimes i clean my room when my mom makes me like where's my fucking shit where's my kit how do i start doing this but yeah i was uh i was 14 when i got my drum kit um this uh kid that i was in band with played a uh, trombone um and actually ended up growing up to be a band director herself which is badass um but uh she had a kit in the basement that she never played 
And uh, I went over to her house one time with the um, explicit goal of playing Violent Femmes. And that was it. That was the only, that was the only goal. Cause it was like, okay, so you have a horn and I, we have this drum kit. We'll just do Violent Femmes, this one Violent Femmes song. Um, and then she decided she didn't want it anymore. So I bought my uh, patented navy blue pearl export aka every 90s kid drummers first kit um and my journey began uh yeah so so were you when you started i assume you were still uh into the pumpkins at that time oh yeah yeah, absolutely i i um i remember getting excited about it on the radio and i like as a small kid and then when I finally had the records I would just like listen to them over and over and over again so by the time I had the drum kit I'd had these records in my you know injected into my brain for three years um so you know I also you know uh, managed to get like an a squire you know and I learned the beginning of today and I learned, uh, you know, the power chords to, to Cherub Rock. And I think that's still to this day, the only guitar part. Oh, and um, I could kind of finger pick like a bullshit version of Tonight Tonight. Um, and I, 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 I think you, I think you covered everything that I still know how to play. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and that's that's where my guitar playing has stopped. That's where it, it you know, I, I literally was like, okay, I can play part of these songs. Oh, and I learned about drop D because I learned the beginning of quiet. Mm. And in order to play quiet, I had to go to drop D. And I remember thinking that was the coolest fucking thing in the history of time, which, which you know, everybody, I assume the first time they're like, oh shit. I'm going to just turn this peg. This is very much a drummer's perspective. I don't know. (laughs) I remember I was like, this hurts my fingers. I'm just going to practice my drums more. And like, I still have that fucking guitar. And uh, the last time I played it was when we did the, the last PRF tribute series where we did the, uh, the pumpkins covers. Mm. And I was like, Oh man, I'm going to do this once ever. And it's going to be, it's going to be Cherub Rock because I can play it. And uh, yeah, super fun. But yeah, that's, that's about it. So every time I've ever jammed on guitar, it's some version of those things that I know. And that's it. Yeah. Well, so when you started playing the drums, were um, you said you, you were, into uh jimmy chamberlain were you mm-hmm. trying to kind of emulate him or, or to go through yes. and learn his parts yes i so i i i have a hard time well i had a hard time learning things by ear i was not good at that at all which um it's funny when i talk to people about that now it surprises them but i just couldn't do it i couldn't listen to something and then replicate it with my hands. I just couldn't, it didn't, I couldn't, like, I, I'm a very visual person. So for me, you know, I, I would have had to see it. And back in that that time, we didn't have the beauty of YouTube, you know, where you could just be like, oh, what's the drummer doing? Click, click. Oh, there it is. You know, fucking man. I, <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine what kind of player I would be now if YouTube existed at that time, I'm sure a lot of people feel that way, but, um, 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I, I kind of just, I would sit around and tune my Pearl export for hours and hours to try, because I didn't understand what that recording wasn't the same thing. I didn't understand that, you know, you mix and master and do all these effects to make it sound like, you know, the most sonic assault of all time. I didn't know that. So I'm just sitting there with my shitty factory pearl export snare, like, why doesn't it sound right? And I'm like tuning it and tuning it and tuning it. And my toms were always like flat and terrible. I realized years later, oh, they were out of round. That's why they didn't, they couldn't, they could not. And I, I, I'm actually very thankful that my kit was fucked up because I took that thing apart in fury. Like I polished every piece. I like just deconstructed that kit probably like a dozen times trying to like furiously find why it was wrong. Why is it like this? Um, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Um, but in the process of doing that, I learned how, how that kit work. And, and like, I could get into a like homeostasis for like half of a, half of a band practice. So it was like, okay, if I could do that. And then I get, you know, I got a brand new kit and I was like, oh my God, I'm awesome at tuning. Holy crap. Like I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I've been listening to this shit forever. I didn't know, but yeah, I, uh, so when it came to like Jimmy Chamberlain stuff, I, I just, I didn't have any concept of how, like, how does his snare sound like that? How are those, how are those single roles being pulled off? Um, and even when I watched uh, Euphoria, which we were just talking about a little bit earlier, the, uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, video compilation of live music released around 1993 of Pumpkin's first big, you know, world tour. Um, and I'm listening to this and I'm like, watching you know trying to figure out like oh what the hell is he doing and like you know they always cut away of course and then you can't mm. see over it because nobody nobody cares about the drum cam back <laughs> in those days there's no like flip cam in the corner you know there's none of that shit so you're just like i think i saw him raise his arm his elbow kind of high there so i don't know and uh i did notice the only thing i i was really able to absorb was that his uh his toms were out of order he put his uh, 14 inch Tom, cause he had a whole mess of drums and he put his, like he had an eight, I think he had a teeny tiny little eight and then he had like everything down the line. Uh, and he put his 14 right in front of him. So it was, you know, his second to lowest Tom in pitch and then the high, and then the highest Tom next to it, to the right where you would have, you know, say tones one two and three it was like you know four one two four you know four one two three right does that make sense yeah yeah so i i uh i thought that was really cool and i did that of course i was like i'm just gonna arrange my and i you know i had three toms so i just like put the one that was to the right to the left because that was the best i could do and uh, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be cool and my stuff's gonna sound totally different and then you know i did that for like a very short period of time for like yeah this isn't this isn't necessary whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> i still don't really know why he does that like i guess i have a theory that um 
it's because of I Am One, which is the first song on their first record, Gish, um, which just starts out with like this Tom snare alternating part. It's pretty simple. I remember the day I learned it, I was like, I'm so cool. I'm so good at drums now. But yeah, um, it's a lower tone and it would have required some weird elbow reaches and bumping into stuff so i imagine that that started with that but he's also a jazz guy who knows who knows who knows why jazz dudes do weird things who knows i don't know but uh yeah so he he had an incredible influence on me i um i remember thinking like (laughs) more juvenile like why does it sound like that uh it's like how how do I sound more like Jimmy Chamberlain? How do I achieve this? Like what makes him sound so pro? And I decided that the whole reason besides his completely impossibly fast singles, which I still think are out of this world. Um, I realized that he would open his hi-hat when he would hit his kick drum. So at the same time. So if you think about it, like your foot's going down on your kick drum while your hi-hat foot's going up, right? Cause you're hitting the hi-hat to open. So it's like, right and you're hitting that kick right when you open the hat right and i was like oh that's why because every time he hits an open like he opens his hat he he hits a kick drum and that and that creates this like really important (laughs) dynamic which you know every drummer should know how to do that every single one and uh you know that 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 was the that was the thing um it's all about it's all about that moment and i just started doing it on everything everything if it didn't have that it wasn't worth a shit to me and nirvana certainly didn't do that so they weren't nearly as cool to me i wasn't i wasn't ready for (laughs) for the for the nuance of bleach (laughs) on the next episode we continue our discussion with erica rixon about the smashing the operative is produced in conjunction with radio note For more information, visit radionope.com.